those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. Eccoci qua, eccoci qua, mamma mia, what a beautiful day here on this cloudy Vancouver. I'm super happy to be here and be joined by uh, really, really dear friends here in the booth on Room Tone, the radio show, Cop Radio 100.5 FM. I'm Roger, your host, and we're going to talk movies throughout the whole 2019. Now, please, join me in welcoming these beautiful souls in the booth. Everybody, please raise your hands from left to right. Connor Provenzano, Kalani Gakon, and Arman Kazimi. How are you guys doing today? Yo, yo. Hey, yo. Good morning. Hey, Good stuff, guys. So today, what's going on here today? What's going on? We got four heads in the booth. We decided to bring in the booth the four guests of the shows that had the most listens. And so here we are talking about movies and the highlights of 2019. Now, guys, let me ask you first things first. Very quickly, who are you? Well, well, well. Kalani Gakon was recently in this booth a few, um, few weeks ago, and here I come back. I'm an Australian-born man. Who's a bit of a, a world man now, lived in different countries, living in Vancouver and leaving tomorrow. And I'm a documentary filmmaker that focuses on issues of migration and, and cultures that are disappearing. Hmm, there goes Kalani. Now, Arman, give me something, man. Yo, uh, Arman Kazimi, I am a various uh, filmmaker, uh, festival organizer, tech bro, uh, writer. And um, I've been here twice so far, once for a f uh, short documentary that I made that was screened at uh, festivals in Mexico, in Europe, in Canada, and also most recently for a film festival that I organized around Middle Eastern culture in Vancouver. Wonderful. There you go. Arman, thank you for that. And Smoothie Voice, Connor, what's going on there? How's it going? Um, so my name is Connor Provenzano. I'm a, a devotional filmmaker, first and foremost, which is kind of drawing on the um, writings of Nathaniel Dorsky. Um, and I make films that really are about contemplative subjects, and I try to um, experience contemplation through the films and spread that through um, the experience of watching the films. Um, well, we yeah. got a really, really sparkling combination of people here in the booth. You guys can tell that, I'm sure. And today we're going to play the game a little bit differently. Today we are going to look at this as a combination of co-hosts. So today we're just going to be throwing questions across the table. We're just going to have a conversation and talk about 2019 as an year for filmmaking. Going from the Hollywood films to the hit films to the films that didn't work and our own experiences on set. So the first question for all of you guys is what's the highlight of 2019 for film? Mm. Hmm. Mm. What do you got there Kalani? What do you got there? Highlight of 2019 for film. It's yet to come. Yet to come for me. <laughs> I have the world premiere of my film on Wednesday in the Kathmandu Film Festival. And it's a local festival in Nepal. Not a prestigious festival by any means, but it's very special. Because it'll be the first time I'm showing this film to the characters who gave their trust to have their stories told. And for the big team involved in it to, to see what I've been spending the last three years getting done. So you let me get this straight, man. You're here in Vancouver. You're talking to us here on Cop Radio 100.5. And you're going to have a... 
premiere in Kathmandu of your film. Is that right? That's right, on Wednesday, man. Oh, my yeah. goodness, man. People, grab a plane if you can. What's the name of the film, boy? The film is called Journey to the Center of the Heart. Mm, there you go. I remember having a great time exploring the topics of that film here on the show. I think it was Take 62 or 63. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Yes, really good time. And we got Connor over here also. We've got another feature film actually in the making, uh, releasing next year, right? Right. Yeah. Beautiful. So in the, in the spring, early spring, we'll, we'll have a release of that in Vancouver, which mm. I'm very excited for. Look at this soothy, soothy voice, people. Mm, 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 mm. There you go. And you can tell also from the voice, Connor, very relaxed. He's really into meditation. <laughs> and this yeah, film well, not as much at, at the moment mm. you know I'm taking a little break from it to focus on other things you know like film you know just structuring my day and sometimes it gets slips away but I think it, that also becomes part of the practice you know mm, mm, I see what you mean I see what you mean I also see the necessity of meditating in, in, a, in an industry like this one Arman yeah Man, Nina Film Festival, man. Come on, come on. Highlight of the year, man. <laughs> it, it was one of the highlights, yeah, for sure. Ooh. We, we uh, kind of cobbled together the first uh, film festival around Middle Eastern culture in Vancouver. Uh, huge community output. When I came on the show, it was before the festival, so now it's post-festival, and I can say that it was a huge success, and uh, we're working with the team to look towards 2020 and later iterations so mm, yeah. later iterations mm, look at that Arman is famous for using these really articulate words so be ready because he's going to shoot some truth during the show you better catch on those and go check the dictionary please I don't, I don't know what that means. and on that note <laughs> on that note I wanted to say that uh, that film Yada which was at mm. Mena was one of my absolute favorites in the year I just Thanks, sort of that, that just came up in my mind as as uh that's something I really enjoyed. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the tougher ones, and uh, it was one of the more, uh, as you say, contemplative films. Uh, very slow-paced, very non-plot-centric, uh, but uh, it was very, like, inner inner life of the characters were explored through their external actions, which was a harder thing to um, sort of broach with, with, I think, a lot of the movie-going audience, but w the few that really connected, well, it was, like, one of the unforgettable films. Why don't we go for a shout-out to the filmmaker? <coughs> there you go. Yeah. Of Yara? Yeah. And, uh, his name is not someone that I recall. It escapes all of us at the moment. Shout out, shout out. Let me just, let me just say a specific yeah. thing that I really liked, which is that, you know, you have, you have two characters which are adolescents in the mountains of Yemen, right? And they are in a war-torn place, very sparse, and they're just discovering chemistry with each other. But it's very, it's not the... the the, the typical version of that story like they don't really they never really kiss they just sort of hug and it's very light and it's respectful and um, that sounds like a sort of conservative way of looking at this relationship but I actually thought it was very beautiful they didn't go into sexual tension or anything like that so so yeah. Yara the thing about it is uh, it was it premiered to this year at the Locarno Film Festival and uh, it was one of the the highlights of the festival for us the MENA festival that we got to promote I don't know if it was the Canada premiere but it was definitely the Vancouver premiere of that movie so we had a couple of uh, local premieres and that was one of them uh, so the director's name is Abbas Fadel and he's actually an Iraqi filmmaker but the film is pl uh, based in set in Lebanon uh, and it's after the sort of like uh, Lebanese civil war that was going on in, in the early 2000s did I say and Yemen? I think you said <laughs> Yemen yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry Lebanon, Lebanon yeah and uh, the interesting thing about that movie is that um, 
a lot of people were sort of like yeah they were like there's not a lot of action there's not, yeah. not a lot of takes place but the action of the film takes place before the opening mm. frame of the film mm-hmm. so it's it's after the, the destruction the devastation mm. and it's what is left behind just uh, a young girl without a family and without really like contemporaries and her elder grandmother and so how do you cope when the the binding theme of your life it becomes lost mm. and, and the absence of presence. Mm. There yeah. you it's, go. Just, it's very docufiction too, very slice of, yeah, yeah, slice yeah, yeah, of life. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, for sure. And we always talk about indie films, we never really get the chance to explore uh, the realm outside of indie film. And uh, we, it's imp- so important to celebrate the, the indie essence of this industry. But today I want to throw a little bit of a, a, of a hot stone on the table because we've had a couple of really important films that had a lot of expectations this year from directors like Scorsese or Tarantino and I want to hear your guys thoughts about that and uh, the juxtaposition of those films with the independent films that we make here I mean we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood we got The Irishman have you guys seen The Irishman? I'm going to say straight up I haven't seen any of these films <laughs> and probably won't Ooh. I'd love to see The Irishman just not on Netflix. Galani goes not, for a statement. Not because the craft of these films isn't good. I'm sure it's exceptional and they have some of the world's most efficient and hardworking people making them. But mm-hmm. these aren't necessarily films that resonate with, with me or the sort of films I want, want to be making mm. in my life. Technically, yeah. I'm sure they are fantastic. I'm, no doubt. There's a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of people with incredible skill sets that developed over years making these films. Mm. And the craft is exceptional. But in terms of the story and how it relates to the world and the kind of films I want to be spending my time making, mm-hmm. it's not the sort of thing I'm going to spend my time watching this time around. Let's mm-hmm. go on a date. Maybe I'll watch it on a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go, Kalani. There you go. That's a, that's a nice statement. That's a strong statement right there, especially when looking at films like that where we as independent filmmakers want to get inspired by these big film directors. And uh, I kind of had the impression that these films had so much more, they could deliver so much more, and especially films like The Irishman, that's three hours and a half long. Um, And then I look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I look for a trajectory in there. And then I look at so many other films, independent films out there that are doing such a great job. And uh, actually, one that really stuck with me, I wouldn't say necessarily it's independent, but who's seen Joker in here? Oh, I, I saw that. Oh, yeah. There you man. go. What do you yeah, think that, about that's, that? that's an example of a. <laughs> I was trying to think <laughs> if I'd been to um, any Hollywood films recently, but I, I did see that and I liked it. Um, I did feel. Here's my, here's my sort of thoughts on that. I thought that the character was sympathetic. They did a good job of painting a picture of why he lost it, mm. you know, why he became mm-hmm. a sociopath. And I think that's an important. Thing to develop in an arc. However, the characters surrounding him were one-dimensional. Mm. I thought I, I thought they could have made them way more kooky or weird or even sympathetic to him. Like for example, the the women who were the, his social workers. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, 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 yes. You know, if one of them had been really sweet to him, and then suddenly because of lack of funding they got cut off, oh. you would have seen. You would have been able to see what you know what upset him so much. But everyone just sort of treated him poorly, and then it was, it was you know, it was bland, and it didn't really reflect life's, life's subtleties in that sense to me. Mm, I see your point. I see yeah. your point. At the end of the film, were you cheering for Joker, or you just understood like, okay, he's gonna see the bad guy. See the yeah, bad, bad at the end of the film, I, I I felt like 
I could see where it was going, and it just went there, and that was it. Wow, you know man, I, mean? I was cheating for Joker, man. I was in that chair. I was like, man, Joker, I'm all yours. Man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and <laughs> kill Batman for you, man. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> man, oh, my goodness. There is a dark side inside of us all, man. We all, <laughs> we all need... Why don't we see ourselves on the screen? I saw myself out there in the TV show just shooting that bullet in the head of someone, you know? Ooh. There was that part of me that was like, man, let's start the revolution. Let's do it right now, right here. What are we waiting for? But, uh, you know... We you mm. need films to mirror that back you can't really manifest it too much right yeah and like the, there's also a feeling for me which is you know i'm wondering what our role what our responsibility is with violence more and more these days mm. as filmmakers how we portray it how we represent it how you know how it might reflect back on viewers a little too much and normalize it and yeah we've had conversations about that recently that were interesting that's a really good point man that's a really good point and we're not going to let that point fade away because it's ah, uh, nice it. and uh, nice and sticky especially with uh, so much of the content that's put out there don't you think Armand? uh yeah i was just thinking as you guys are talking like the the glamorization of violence has kind of been done and as an aesthetic principle it's been sort of played out so i'd, I'd like to see what comes after sort of the the fallout of um uh like violence as an organizing narrative principle mm. and uh i think there's there's avenues to explore and maybe one is is one that we were just talking about like the what comes after the sort of um the, the dunkirk experience you know like w the devastation that's left behind then mm. that could be the basis of of your film and it doesn't necessarily uh it doesn't necessarily contain the building blocks for compelling screen experience but in in terms of like internal inter interiorized space i think that's a space that is more and more explored by like a uh, more independent film landscape which always mm -hmm. it has been but mm -hmm. now it can be more so and i think a lot of the independent film aesthetics are coming to the fore especially when you look at uh, some of the international fare that's offered at some of the festivals like for the last two or three years i think at at can like um more of the international features have been getting spotlight whether it's uh parasites which is the korean feature that won the palm door oh, or shop right. shoplifters which mm -hmm. is a great japanese sort of uh, social point. social drama can mm -hmm. we just see both of those mm. yeah they're, they're love, both great, the yeah. great films yeah yeah okay what do you think about that cheese it's a i, I really like listening to connor's and aman's point of view about about this when i was hearing them speak i thought you know what like it's sort of also very instinctive as a human being to create films about violence i think it's something that you know if you gave any human from any time period a caveman or someone from the middle ages or even now it's like one of the first things they'll do is portray violence on camera you know as a, as a storytelling medium because mm. i i think it gives us an access to explore those like you know strange dark fantasies that we've probably had lurking in or want to enact somehow and it gives a very acceptable medium to explore that and give it out mm. and i think storytelling has always had violence in it you know in some capacity and the film's just in the next modern available mechanism to, to do that mm, what a powerful statement there too man i i, I kind of resonate with that especially because you look at myths and you look at the past and the stories that really uh, live in our structure deep within and we see that violence, as you mentioned, we see that violence and now film has just taken it to another level. And that's the balance, right? That's the blurry line. Is that too much? Is that fair? Is that correct? Now that people can actually Google anything and kids can go out there and find everything whenever they want, then uh, that's where the, 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 the question marks start to rise. And, and that's, that's a really good point. Good responsibility, Connor. I really like the point that you made, man. What's, what do you think can a, a filmmaker do? Can, what can a filmmaker do to explore that blurry line with violence in film? 
Well, I think just looking at violence as a way of pulling reactions out of the audience is a good start. Look at whether or not that's really needed mm -hmm. to get your point across. Because it's a, it's a little bit of, or it has become, I might say, a cheap way to provoke a reaction from the audience, to pull them along in a story, to pull them from left to right. Um, and it may not even be necessary, you know, to, to get that point across. Um, and so I guess a lot of it is knee-jerk reaction and shock value. Um, uh, I, I, I all, at the same time, of course, I feel it's important to show the truth, and the truth is quite intense and violent in the, the world we live in, so sometimes it's very necessary. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I'll have to think about that. So it's, yeah, also it's, so, it's also so banal, mm. like the, the depiction of violence in film. Like it, uh, it just I, there's no. I don't think there's any more like a vector left to explore that uh, space. Because, we, uh, as you said, it's so literalized in our like uh, material world, mm. you know, that, that it's it's become a bit of like a trope, and I don't think necessarily it, it has the same touch points as a narrative structure as it might have used to, mm. and it's just more of like a filler, mm. and like the fight scenes, like all those uh, Marvel universe films, and it, they like uh, accentuate and they sort of like you bask in this uh, the the sensuality of of. Uh, martial co combat. What that, did I tell you guys about those that, words, man? Those words, baby. It's somewhat, it's somewhat serious. Wow. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. You're turning this room into a sauna with those words, man. Look at that. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. We're gonna love just it. focus on <laughs> what. I'm but there has to be one guy that pulls okay. these words out. There has to be. Come on, come on, Arman. I love Sorry? that. I love say that. <laughs> just saying, I love, I love you the way you are, man. I okay. love, I love wow. the way you are, man. Anyways. Yes. Talking films and uh, here on Room Tone Radio, it's time to take a break. It's happening, people. Just uh, look at that. 15 minutes just went by. Oh, my goodness. It's 11.18, people. Go out there. Enjoy your cloudy day in Vancouver. Broadcasting straight from downtown east side, people. Beautiful. I love this radio station so much. Let's go. Let's just head dive into it. Oh, my goodness. This track, this track, this track. You guys are going to love it just by the sound of it. Whew. Can, you, can, you, can you hint what this is? Can you hint what this is? Ooh, Connor is happy about this. All right, everybody. Catch a break. Excited. Catch you later. This is Conversations by Kuzic. Oh.
Welcome back, everybody. That was Conversations by Kuzic. Oh, my goodness. What a juicy, juicy track, people. Didn't you love that? Wow. wow. Here we are back again on Copyright 100.5 FM, Room Tone, the radio show talking movies because we love it. I'm Roger, your host, and today in the booth from left to right, Conor Provenzano, Kalanigakon, and Arman Kazimi. Pleasure to have you guys around here, talking a little bit more about the highlights of this year in filmmaking in Vancouver, Canada, and the world. Why not? Let's uh, embrace the whole globe. Why don't we go for a shout-out to the best independent films we've seen this year? Give me something, Arman. I yeah, know right that. on. Well, we're, we're here. We're kind of uh, championing and celebrating local filmmakers and local indie filmmakers, especially from my perspective, um, trying to put on the Middle East and North Africa Film Festival. Uh, I had the chance to cross paths with uh, a few of the very talented um, filmmakers that we have locally that kind of champion an immigrant uh, landed and also second generation perspective. Um, so one of the one of the really cool films that we were able to screen and uh, I'd love to mm. be able to expose a bit more is uh, Watched. Watched. Oh, by, what a wonderful film! By mm. a friend, um, Amar Chabib. Mm, Amar, and shout out, man! Shout out! What an incredible film! Man. And oh I think, my yeah, goodness! So Rogero, I think you were also there at yeah. the film fest. So we we saw that it was a documentary about. Um, well, at, at the core, it's a documentary film about the music and instruments and people behind uh, some of the devotional Sufi uh, music Mm -hmm. but it became it was started but it became a film about uh, diaspora and migration and uh, being a refugee and carrying your your sort of refugee heritage uh, on your shoulders Mm. in the diaspora and so he follows up with some of the the people that he had spoken with as musicians abroad and how that mm. has affected them as what a powerful film as well to just explore and embrace such a big topic mm-hmm. from this concept this idea and Sufi just incredible film I want to I send you a big hug man we're going to get you on this show sooner or later just get ready alright Kalani man highlights 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 man Boom. give me something give me something so I know you got that probably my favorite filmmaker mm. a very old gentleman called Michael Apted Mm. He came to Viv to do a small talk, mm. and Michael is the director behind the Up series that began with Seven Up and is now at Sixty Three Up. Ooh, tell us more! Tell us I'm more! I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but this is like ridiculously incredible use of film as a medium. Um, he went about sixty years ago. He went into England and chose twelve children from different backgrounds, some with mothers, some without fathers, a mixture of it, of context to begin the life experience from different ethnicities and of course different financial backgrounds mm-hmm. and he interviewed these children very basic very, the first film was very basic very simple it was like a nature documentary you know interviewed these children asked them what their dreams of the future are what sort of life they expect and what sort of life they might want to have and showed a bit of b-roll of them living in their, in their houses their, their day-to-day life activities and mm-hmm. boom that was seven that was the first one mm-hmm. And then seven years later, when they were 14, he returned and met them all one by one and asked them the same questions and looked at how their life had actually changed compared to what they had said or expected to change. Mm. And then did it again at 21, again at 28, again wow. at 35, and continued every seven years until they're now 63. And celebrate 63 up, he came to VIF and did a small, a small talk about the experience of making those films. And he's a very old man now himself, you know. Mm-hmm. He's older than them. He's in his 80s. I thought, wow, like if there's one film one series that like exemplifies the power and how much capacity there is to tell stories the experience of being alive as a human being like wow this is this exemplifies that exceptionally seven up wow how can people watch that 
I think you can even find it on YouTube. Mm. Someone uploaded it there. Mm. From 7 up to 63 up. Oh my goodness, imagine all the juice in between. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, shout out to the filmmaker again. Mm. Michael? Michael Apton. Yeah. Apton, amazing, amazing. Please Google that name. Check it out. 7 up, beautiful, very interesting. Definitely an experience to watch, uh, especially because those films, I'm pretty sure they're not half an hour films or something like that by the time he made 70 63 up it's like a three four hour film mm. lots of content to cover in seven years of someone's life of know? course these, these people are now grandparents or great-grandparents mm. and each wow. of their children has their own stories and their own dreams and this i mean seven years of someone's life how do you summarize that in, in a 10 minute segment you know wow, wow. all, all the, the dreams and failures and successes and moments and and sadness like and he really tries to do it with honesty and like, no matter what the honesty presents, he, he tries to tell in that direction. Mm, it's almost breaking a boundary, breaking a boundary in many ways. It's really hard to uh, achieve and reach that depth with a one-hour film. But when you go and break that boundary, go for four or five hours, mm. you just uh, reach a different place and it becomes a whole experience that you have to distribute even across your day. Yeah, and I feel like there's a devotional aspect to that. Projects like that, like the stuff Richard Linklater does, where he takes a project and he follows up with it, you know, five years later and then ten years later and ten years, but or every year mm. um, for a period of time because it's really showing change, mm, 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 you know, mm, how mm. things change. So imagine Linklater's films, but told with the the scope, the, the glasses of documentary and observation documentary. Right. Like that's what we're talking about with this series, you know. Like Linklater is right. one of my favorite filmmakers as well, for sure. Like what a man. Yeah. Shout out to Linklater. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Linklater. You know. Yeah. Um, it's great. Imagine you know using that practice and 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 that patience in documentary capacity right you know yeah, and telling sense. like the authentic life experience of someone going through the the normal and mundane like circles of life and it becomes so profound through that right but also with the way his documentary has i'd be curious how it's affected their lives you know like their lives and, have changed because they're, was, they're having this project about them and that's what a big topic of the talk he did at VIF was about you know a lot of people mm -hmm. asked him in the audience like how did the experience of being in this film yeah did it did it actually change the direction of your life in any capacity mm -hmm. uh, and the answer seemed to be like probably not not really you know like <laughs> it was only one series seven years it got filmed you know and they went back to their life and forgot about it afterwards they didn't become superstars or anything from it they got recognized occasionally on the street but like M more so than not they just live their life and took part in the film once every seven years for, for a couple of days you know what a commitment as well to just say I'm going to be part of this and in seven years I'm well, going to be part of it they had no again. choice they started when they were children they were seven years old I see and their school teachers selected them or casted them in that role you know and they had no choice at the time but mm -hmm. someone still has a choice to say you know I don't want to do this anymore and three of them ended up never doing it again oh. one actually tried to sue them Mm -hmm. um, for being in the f it's really strange one of them tried to sue the filmmakers for being part of the film because he was part of it at 7, 14, 21 mm. and then he became a documentary filmmaker himself this no man. way <laughs> <laughs> look at Ridiculous, that yeah. <laughs> That's how karma comes back huh? Mm. very interesting wow that calling that, uh, that energy that attraction very fascinating story I'd have to dig up in that a little man, bit more just, just watch it man I know wow. you've put it on your list a lot of times to mm -hmm, watch this film mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. do, now just do it nice nice yeah, 7 up people check it out on YouTube and then go all the way to 63 up mm. oh my goodness so many good films to talk about too I have a great memory of this amazing short film by Farhad Gaderi man Farhad a big hug to oh. you uh, Virtuous Circle it was a music video shot on film 
wow, the essence of that film, the poetry, the dynamics that are involved in every single frame. Just incredible, incredible film. It gave me so much hope for the future of short films and music videos. Have you guys had the chance to watch that? Where can we watch it, man? Oh, man, I it's give you the link. Uh, Vimeo, I oh, it's on Vimeo, I think. It's on Vimeo if you search uh, Farhad. He actually go on the... Change. He came on, on Take 40-something. If you go on the podcast, the link uh, is there. Go check it out. Boom. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I yeah. saw that. It was amazing. Amazing work of art. Yeah, incredible, yeah, yeah, too, in sensibilities. film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought his sensibilities were unbelievable. And also shout out to Shelby, too, for producing. And ah, What's the name of her? Amazing. Shelby. Uh, boldly. 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 Yeah, shout out to Shelby. Yeah, those are serious, heavy, heavy heavy hitters with the commercial work that they do it's really cool good stuff Shelby Farhad congratulations Farhad is also a great local uh, cinematographer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, does mm -hmm. a lot of good work yeah he's been working with NFB as well Mm -hmm. I mean uh, everything is connected here you just talk about one person and you cannot stop yourself from talking about all the other people that are around it incredible community man Connor I know that you also like to shoot on film quite a lot I don't I don't shoot on film quite a lot but I've done 35mm still Mm. for the past 10 years or so I've just been it's something I, I do here and there mm. when I can afford it but it's you know for the last film that I'm that I made which I'm uh, premiering in, in the spring I was um, I was shooting film at kind of as research to see mm-hmm. if I could understand what the look would be and then interestingly I didn't end up shooting the documentary on film mm. but I just wanted I wanted to have those for intended use in it like ha- you know playing with um, media hybridity and still photos and mm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I also think film is magical and it it provides something that um it can it can be almost um mysterious and even tell the tell the future mm. or give you something that is better than you could have imagined you know mm. like due to light leaks and things like that so yeah there's definitely a concept of uh, uh, spontaneity in uh, the genuine approach of film because light is genuine as well and, and there, go, there it goes there goes the connection and I see that there is that attraction from many cinematographers and filmmakers to go to film and there goes the struggle do we go digital or do we go film especially because film is so expensive so right now to develop it you, there are so few places and it's expensive to just go through the process and that's why I was so surprised also that they pulled such a good product with the virtual circle just mm-hmm. shooting it all on film and they were afraid even that at the airport if they scanned it and sent some uh, some uh, vibes and, and, and uh, how, how what's x-rays the x-rays there you go <laughs> send some x-rays through oh, the yeah, film going to the vibe detector right yeah, now yeah. <laughs> man we're all vibe detectors man just look at someone's body and, and face and, and vibe detector we all got it for sure I love that filmmakers we all gotta be vibe detectors man especially on set there are so yeah. many things happening on set what's yeah. your crazy story on set man I can see that I can see that <laughs> vibe detector uh, I don't know yeah set is um, uh, I might pass that along and think about it <laughs> you, you guys. Oh my <laughs> I'm sorry there is so much always happening on set man Galani I know you got something there I remember you coming back to me and telling me how you were in the middle of the sea in the fall with your water all the way up to the hips filming that was a good moment, man. Like, mm-hmm. that's one of the highlights, yeah. Mm. That definitely wouldn't be, like, a crazy story. Like, that's something I would willingly do any moment, you know, mm. to get the right shot. Beautiful. Um, but, man, yeah, I, I came to, to Vancouver attracted by the thought of, like, being immersed in filmmaking and being surrounded by filmmakers and people who are creating things. And that's probably, like, the main reason which, which put me on the plane to Vancouver. And then for the first, like, few weeks and months, I would take any film-related job I could, unpaid or not, just just to be there and mm-hmm. to meet the people who could, you know, put me mm-hmm. in that world. It's been a very strange time, man, very strange time. I've worked on very few films that I, like, actually enjoyed um, 
the content of. Um, You've stayed here for eight months now? Six months or something like that. Oh, six months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, like there was no stories that really hit me like none of the films I worked on I had stories that like okay this is a powerful important story <laughs> none of it was like that it was all very safe like so safe filmmaking you know like stuff that's no like they, they know they can show to their grandparents and they're going to enjoy it you know it's just safe I like yeah. it I like this very statement peculiar. I like this statement a lot we need a bit of that spice in this filmmaking we need, need the spice man spice it up baby you didn't feel the spice mm, just, yeah. just a spicy man I love it that's the way to go can I throw one? I mean, come on, throw it, man. Anecdote out there. Okay, so I'm working on this Netflix show, and we're we're as a background extra, mm -hmm. you know, just for some loose change. And I'm I'm watching this young guy, like 18 years years old, uh, acting as like a guitar player in a band and everything. We're we're listening to the same song over and over mm -hmm. and over. And his 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 sort of energy is so outgoing and and uh, like kind of calm, and he's he's just sort of killing it, and he's really um, relaxed. I'm looking at this, and I, I begin to feel a sort of sense of frustration. And at this point, a friend of mine, you know, leans over and and uh, says, you know, hey, I really like the energy on set. Nobody's really in a trip about anything. We're all working together. And um, she's another background extra. And at that moment, I realized I was kind of in a trip watching this young guy perform. You know, I play music, but I've never really performed. I've never had like you know the the gumption or the ambition to go out and perform a lot. So mm -hmm. I realized, oh my god, I'm in kind of an, a trip about this. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like it actually it was incredibly useful information, and I felt like a sense of lightness after that. And that oh, all I need to do is just like relax and go perform. And yeah, so that was a really unexpected thing. Mm. You might say contemplative or whatever, but it was it was nice. That's extremely fascinating because many people that go to work as extras on films that they will never see it this way. It's it, it takes a specific lens to see it this way and recognizing the meditative nature of that sequence of that repetition uh, of the action and, and witnessing as an extra as well. Yeah, have you have you lessons all the time? Yeah, all, all the time, the time man. All over the place, really. all over the place. Especially on set, that there are so many dynamics, and I'm sure that Arman has uh, some uh, insights on that too. Being on sets and, and I think the uh, industry accepted term is background. Mm, background. There you go. Background. <laughs> <laughs> I love how Arman picks Thank you, the Arman. right word. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did the I did the course and everything. <laughs> the course and being background. Oh, my well, the, the, the like the film course, the whatever film course you yeah, have to yeah, do yeah. to you know get a get on the union I once was an ambitious uh, union perspective oh what no way well I wanted to you know work on sets and be part of the camera crew I worked on a lot of sets in the city and being from Vancouver you mm -hmm. even if you're not in film you're in film Mm. Just by, just by virtue of being in the city, man, because the city's a set. The whole city's a you just set. Follow a couple signs, couple signs. No, man, not even. You just you, you'll you'll be walking around, and uh, next week you'll see that you're walking around has been depicted to millions of people around the world. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a funny phenomenon of living in a city that acts as every other city in the world, but has never quite been itself. Mm. And um, I think maybe in the last few years it's been different that Vancouver is finally like wearing its own skin in a way um, uh, we are seeing maybe more films that are depicted as BC or as Vancouver but uh, how many times have I seen someone manipulating like American you know like 
Lincoln's like on Granville Street and I'm like mm. that's Granville Street we don't I don't know wow man Lincoln. but what a statement you had right there you shared uh, this city and acting like any other city but never being its own there you go what is Vancouver anyways right we see all these uh, different layers and faces what is Vancouver anyways listeners ask yourself what is Vancouver what is it that would be a good name, title for a book Vancouver anyways <laughs> Vancouver anyways ah yeah. there you go picture book <laughs> I think I'd see it as a three-tone novel. Wow! <laughs> I see it as like a picture book, like but photo like, essay, <laughs> photo but, essay, but like draw illustrated picture book, like really nicely, like you know, these simple, beautiful watercolor pictures of, of like different times in Vancouver. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a market for this. Oh, okay. I think we should make it happen. Yeah. Oh, okay. We can make it a like a media series, like a film and a, mm. a, a picture book. And it would change so much. Podcast. <laughs> well, that's a name for a podcast, Vancouver. Anyways, Vancouver anyways there you hey, go. Man. Hey, people, we shot it out there. We shot it out there to you. Make something good with this it came from a nice good warm heart uh, play, heartfelt place here in the booth and uh, with the this beautiful company here surrounded by these beautiful souls I want to throw one last uh, question to the whole room before we take uh, our second break and then go ahead with the rest of the episode we're gonna have we're not gonna have a Proust questionnaire and one minute pitch as usual we're just gonna continue the conversation but today the question that I have for you guys is for the future that you see yourselves or as filmmakers what is the one specific thing you hope you knew earlier in your career that you can carry on with yourself mm. just for the future and this is also can be a life advice I don't get the question man explain again man the one thing you wish you knew earlier okay like a lesson I learned the hard way pretty much right well you can say that way but there are some things I had to learn in the you know they kind of faded into my life and, uh, and then uh, I, I wish I knew earlier, but sometimes life becomes very unpredictable. It's just so tricky. It's just so unpredictable. And it's a good question, man. It's a good question. Like yeah, I, I to frame the question in that way as, as well, it's like, because I always felt like I've learned the right things at the right time. You mm. know, the moment I needed, needed to learn them, like it, it, came, it came to me at the right time. Mm. But I'm going to think about this question and give you an interesting answer. Mm. Yeah, I think going forward, I really want to... Um, okay, not waste people's time, not waste my own time, learn more how to use time fit efficiently, manage time, um, you know, spread, put my energy in things that really matter, and those are really, that's really difficult, it's a hard thing to, to work on as an independent, um, but developing more structure in my routine, sorry, that's a lot, but then also, it's um, one thing, Connor, one thing, man. <laughs> Kalani, Kalani, oh, okay. man. He give, passes the question. Give us the juice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfectionism has has greatly slowed down my process. I will say that. Mm. Yeah, I mm. think it's it's also helped my process in some ways, but I, it's slowing it down. Yeah. What a powerful point there, man. It's so tough as well because we look at the film and we always want to re-edit. We always want to do things, and uh, I've gone through that, and it's so hard to just accept the baby as it is. How do you do that? How do you settle? How do you how do you settle with yourself? Start to enjoy it being rough around the edges. Mm. You know, like look at a lot of look at the films that you admire and and most of them are not, you know, perfect. There's always some little flaws or it's a little rough and actually We accept it, right? We accept it. Accept it, enjoy it even. Like yeah. like start to see that that there's something special about it being rough, you know. Mm. I really resonate with what you said, man, and I'm going to answer your question now, Rogero. Um <laughs> What you got there? What you got there? Yeah. The juice. I've, I've, I've learned. <laughs> I've I sort of learned, I guess, that we are, or I am, my own harshest critic on my own stuff, and bringing fresh sets of eyes to the work, whether it's a script or the the shoot, 
but mostly at the edit, bringing a fresh set of eyes early on gives so much amazing, important, valuable perspective that you mm. just lose time and time again getting mm. lost in the edit. Like, I, editing this film I've been working on the last three years, like, I should have brought, looking back on it now and looking, evaluating the process and the time I spent, if I had brought someone in earlier on to give me that fresh set of eyes and that feedback, it would have been so much, saved me so much heartache than going the long way and figuring it out in circles. You wow, that's, uh, that's another powerful point. Wow, you guys are getting the juice out of this conversation. I love that, man. So I sort of made the mistake of doing it all alone and then making even a, you know, a draft, draft final cut alone and then only then showing people for feedback and then realizing, okay, you know, this should have been happening months, months, months earlier to get this film out of my head because this film, it, I'm not making it to watch myself. I'm making it for people to connect with and understand and enjoy. And so I should have really listened, you know, to my... Let the let the the ego out of the door and just really like, boom, mm. brought people into that space and collaborated with them earlier on. But there goes the blurry line again, because you're making films for people to experience and watch it. At the same time, you can ask yourself, what if I want to make a statement with this? What if I'm making a film, not necessarily for people to enjoy, but for people to talk about it or for oh, people absolutely. to notice something? But to, but to see if your message is even working or getting across the way you think it is, you know? Mm. The amount of hours you spend in a dark room with headphones and watching your own footage, like you really get lost in it. And, mm. it's, and because you're emotionally attached to every second of footage because you know the pain and the effort or the struggle it was to capture that, you know? Mm. It, you, easily lose perspective of what's important what's working mm. for the cut what's all, what's not working to tell the message efficiently mm. properly straight direct to the heart mm. you know the jungle of dailies oh my goodness have you been there Armand? yeah I mean um, <laughs> I've, I most of the stuff that I've done is self shot and self edited so mm -hmm. I it's definitely like an exercise in um, self tolerance <coughs> to uh, do that kind of thing uh, I think the collaborative aspect is both important but like essential to filmmaking so as a person that has done most of my films by myself uh, I supplement that with a lot of like just like haggard hours having to cut and recut and expand and recut so I think it's a, yeah it's definitely a balance um, I've seen it from the other perspective where you kind of like enter this uh, spiral of like self-hatred Oh wow! <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that's of, heavy. Well, just just do the film, you know. It's like I really want to get this out, but there's also these things that are happening, and mm -hmm. yeah, it it takes um it, it takes a village to raise a film, I think. And mm -hmm. even when you're doing it by yourself, I know I had a lot of uh, assistance, just people who were watching it in different uh, versions and telling me what works, what didn't work. People who had no ex exposure to the film prior. Mm, that's right. So man. I think even if you're doing it by yourself, you're not doing it by Armanzino, I love the sound of it. Oh my goodness. On Beautiful. that point, man, I want to say also very, very important for what I realized to not bring people in who love you or care about you to watch the film and give feedback because they're going to tell you what you want to hear, you know? Mm, they're going yeah. to look they're gonna look after your feelings and tell you it's great because they, they love you and, and they want, they, they're so proud of seeing of what course, you've done, you yeah, know? Yeah. But bringing people who don't give a shit about how you feel and just are watching the film for the first time and seeing if the message is conveyed to them and hearing that honest, like, just direct feedback. It, it can hurt to hear it. And, you know, and it, yeah. it's, it's such an emotional experience to, to make a film and put all your energy and your life into it. Mm. But I, I realize how deeply fundamentally important it, it is to get that earlier on before I get too lost in an edit in a world. For sure, you know? yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. I mean, also people whose opinions you respect, right? Who you think and have a certain too, yeah. aptitude. In that it's, an, it's a nice balance. And that's uh, where the test screenings are so controversial. 
what, a, what an interesting space to share the movie. But again, you're sharing the movie with such a small crowd as well. Even if it's 50 people, 50 people in comparison to the amount of people who might actually end up watching your film or in comparison to the people who might actually write and talk about your film. And this is where the gravity lives as filmmakers. That's where we have to say, this is what my statement is. It feels good to me. And I have to stay true to my own soul and my own way, way of being and my own language. And uh, what a tricky line as well. And I notice the more I talk about it on this show and, 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 and even on the past podcasts, the more I talk about this with filmmakers and the more I notice that filmmaking is a fluid state. It's a fluid art. Because there are so many layers and so many directions and dynamics, the true gravity lives within the filmmaker and the team that may pulls the film together. Arma, you made an amazing point, man. I love when you said that, man. Just uh, the fact that it really takes a village and mm -hmm. you kind of feel it. You kind of go through it sure. and you embrace it as a filmmaker. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I can see I can see Connor there having um, some uh, some thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, I, th I think I echo and I absolutely agree with what you guys are talking about. Maybe we're all in the same place, a similar place right now with our process of thinking about collaboration more and stuff like that. I mean, I, I'd love to work with an editor, edit on another film and and I even invite people into the like make it a totally collaborative process with with the shooting as well so on my next pro next project i'd like to do something that's more in the vein of interdependent cinema where mm -hmm. everybody's sharing sharing the roles and coming up with something together mm -hmm. um including the cinematography that way you get a mix of perspectives and then you know, wonderful but hopefully there's a shared vision and then i just wanted to say one more thing which is that i remember when i was living in toronto i went to tiff and saw a really great film and afterwards i was talking with a filmmaker with with another lady who's there who's a, also a filmmaker and she said um she said you know you really can't edit your own films and i said something i remember saying you know well stanley kubrick edited his own films <laughs> but he spent years in his basement doing it you know in, in, his, in a dark <laughs> room mm, mm, mm. and he, he I don't died think he had a lot of friends and he died at a heart attack at the age of 50. <laughs> what kind of life is that really you know <laughs> plus he took like eight years for each project <laughs> or 10 years mm, but that's what they're really okay. talking about right now yeah well that's okay. that's, that's a that's a really good that's yeah. our process as well as you say editing one of the things that came to mind is as a filmmaker one thing one experiment i would love to run is to have a feature film edited by three different people and have you know yeah. edit this film edit this film edit this film and then you extrapolate a few sections and put it together do you guys think nice. that, that would work or at least if you structure it say edit the first act edit the second act edit the third act do you think that would work amazing yeah. it'd be an interesting experiment i know films that are shot by three different cinematographers can work because mm. at least the editor can pull it all together and make a cohesive vision from it mm. but the editor is like the, the final the final you know artist in the process to create a cohesiveness to the film mm, it'd yeah. be an interesting experiment to see if that would would work or not if it would flow mm. or if it would feel like three different stories mm. because of the the yeah the differing pacing movement mm -hmm. sense of light between things mm, that's a, that's another that's that's exactly where the conversation is happening where does the gravity live because especially for an editor being an editor you just have a say on so much sometimes i almost feel like that the the actual movie is not made by the director but the editor and that's why so many directors out there actually edit their own films right it's uh, something that's so visceral so present and so important to the nature of making films and even just telling stories. It's like, yeah, I'm the writer, I'm gonna write the words and then you can edit the book yourself and you just put your chapters in your own order and you can ch copy and paste this paragraph. I don't think it works that way. Mm. It's such a natural, connected part of the vision. Yeah, I respect people editing their own films a lot. 
I will say that. However, maybe the, the lesson is when you start to feel like you're getting lost, then bring, you know, bring someone in. Mm. I also respect, totally respect editors who do that full-time, come mm. in right from the get-go and work with it. You know, mm-hmm, usually, mm-hmm. yeah, it's probably for the better. So such such a such a grind to be there with all those dailies and cut and cut and mm. cut and move and cut and cut and cut and move and cut and move. <laughs> and I've seen actually, I remember having a, a good time with you, Arman, uh, checking some of the footage for that documentary, the back documentary that you made, yeah, which right. turned out great, man. Thanks, man. And uh, and having to put those cuts together, what was the the number one challenges for you guys? when it comes to actually finalizing a product and talking about finalization we're finalizing this episode here it's been a pleasure to talk with you guys but I want to talk about you uh, with you guys about this uh, aspect of finalization when it comes to finishing a product and it could be even in distribution what was the number one challenge for you guys and, and what's the lesson that we can share to our listeners and our filmmakers out there Mm-hmm. Thinking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Tough question, baby. There's the whole the whole road has been filled with different unexpected challenges. You know, mm. it's hard to think of of one to bring up right now. Give me a, a moment. It's, on that. Um, I'd say the the follow through after the film is finished mm. to actually get it not on your computer screen and on other screens. Mm. So mm. there's mm. so much, and it's something that I've personally, I guess, experienced is that. Uh, you put so much effort and like lifeblood into like the creation of the thing that you're kind of spent once it's it's the time to promote it and market it and it almost requires as much if not more mm. effort to get people to watch it because that's real, the real test of all of the hard work mm. so I'd say that um, it almost it's almost that's where the film <laughs> The, the effort starts in a film to mm, it almost seems like it's the job of the storyteller is the job of the storyteller to understand where to and when to tell the story mm. we can be almost like travelers in the middle of nowhere we can tell the stories to the animals and, and the turtles uh, but how do we understand when and where to tell the story that we have to tell is that the job of the storyteller it's the job of the independent storyteller um, <laughs> independent storyteller there you go know. my boy there you go, my boy. Wow, so much. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to own, um, have f- full ownership over every facet of the product, which uh, you mentioned, Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. he's one like Casey who famously uh, controlled how it was marketed, how it was pitched, um, the different like brandings around it, and he had he he demanded total control out of Universal, and he's one of the I think maybe the only person in history who's been able to extract that amount of control out of a major producer. So mm. uh, if you want it done and branded and have the 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 aura around your your creation that you know is is total is totalizing i think that's the amount of effort that's required and that's why mm. we talk about him being sort of this like uh misanthrope is just because he was <laughs> he was dedicated to his filmmaking he didn't care much for other people mm. i wonder what yeah. was the price of all that what, what was right. the price well, of can, that creative freedom see, he, he died young of a heart attack you know that that says oh, it all I don't, <laughs> well it's that more, doesn't say it all I don't to me it's, it's <laughs> the people who worked with him and how much strain they put into it for a little very for very little ultimately you know like he did not really respect I mean, from what I understand, and I've read some books on Kubrick and everything, people were not ultimately that happy working with him. You know, mm. I mean, people got a lot out of it. There were there were benefits, but um, I'm thinking of his assistants and how much he strained them. He just wasn't conscious of people. But I would argue that he didn't care particularly. Yeah, he was probably he a, like a mild sociopath, or at least like <laughs> autistic. Maybe you know? so. Yeah. Well, no, could doubt, be, uh? no doubt, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. Kalani says no doubt. I mean, wow. he also had a family with uh, four, 
kids were kids and took care let's, of them. Um, let's cats and let's bring them on the radio and, and find <laughs> yeah. out what it was like. There you go. There you <laughs> go. There's a documentary out there. Raised right? by a really good documentary. Yeah, yeah raised there by Kubrick. several at this point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Apparently, he had a fascination with sausage machines. Or it was a Warner Brothers movie. <laughs> it was Universal Warner Brothers. Like wow. I, I watched mm. a lot of stuff about. I used to be quite obsessed with him, and I watched a lot of documentaries about him. Mm. And apparently, like everyone who lived in his house or nearby his house would always say he'd disappear for hours and just go downstairs and play with his sausage machine <laughs> or experiment with different types of sausage machines to find the perfect one. I'm not. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know, know about that, that one. one. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay! 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 There it goes, Father. There's so much, and uh, somehow when we talk about films. We always end up talking about Kubrick, man. It's just such a vital part of our of our decade here, at least, or the past decades, or just the history of cinema. It's such a young, young, young way of expressing, too, you know? Yeah. Film it just was born, like, what, 100 years ago? Something like that? Right. It's, it's incredible. May I ask I mean, you guys a question? Sorry. Come on, man. Come on, man. Shoot it. Um, so, recently, I was um, hired as a videographer to film and cover the World Summit on Virtual Reality and augmented technology, uh, reality technology. Nice. And there was a lot of different seminars and speeches I listened to, and a big sort of undercurrent to this whole sem this whole summit was the potential possibility of at least our children being born in a world where the main consumption of media and storytelling is happening through a virtual reality experience. Mm. And I want to ask you guys. Do you think that, maybe not in our lifetime, but at least in our children's lifetime, will the main storytelling, you know, storytelling medium that's out there available for people to, to consume, will, do you think it'll be virtual reality? Do you think mm. that's the next step? Is virtual reality going to be the next big thing for us all? That's a brilliant question. How, where do we go? We don't know. I think many people don't. I don't know. I personally I, don't know. I think know. as long as we're, as least us four are still alive, we're going to be making films. You know, I don't think we're going to stop making films, at least in, you know, in, in mm -hmm. our lifetime. Yeah, that's a good point. But, but, but for our children who are born in a time, you know, they're born pretty much given a smartphone since, since birth, you know. Um, do, you, do you guys believe that is what's going to happen to the, the media that we tell stories in? Let's That's a, a marvelous question. You first, Richard. Well, Boom. this is the Straight thing, man. This is the thing. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna respond to that with a lot of love because uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, storytelling, many different mediums, especially interactive mediums. I love video games when the story, when a good story is told through video games. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Uh, virtual reality, man, it's a completely different medium because it involves movement. Movement of the head, movement of, of the body, movement of so many different other concepts that, that we're not even used to it. We're not even, even used to having a screen that's so close to our eyes. So I think that it really goes down to what are we going to become through this. And I really doubt that our all these many years of evolution where we've used our eyes and, and we are used to perceiving life in this way, I really doubt that after all these years of evolution we're going to be getting used to something like virtual reality so quickly. So it's still going to take some time but it's going to take something different to it. Guys, we're going to have to go through these answers real quick because the show here is wrapping up. So, Connor, what do you think about that virtual reality situation? Connor's got something right there? I actually really don't have any thoughts on virtuality. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably going to be the case that it's pervasive um, just like all all forms of mm. you know media proliferation, but I I don't I'm not I'm not interested. You know. Oh, I see. Okay, oh, interesting. Armazinho. Engaging. Um, yeah, I think it's virtual reality is very much like an untested medium so far in terms of its narrative potential. There's a lot of uh, practical applications in like the medical field, uh, training pilots, training uh, bus drivers, and that kind of thing. Uh, as far as far as like a storytelling vector, um, I've seen a lot of like VR. I've experienced some VR. Um, and it's very much in the test phase. I've never seen, I haven't yet seen 
VR that is totally immersive in the sense that you mm. forget that it's there. It's transparent. I don't think it's become quite transparent yet as a medium mm. in terms of its usage. I've also like played VR video games, and that's a little bit different because you're telling a story like object uh, th- uh, in a motivation-oriented space. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's more of an application in, in terms of gaming I see than maybe mean. filmmaking because there's there's that locomotive aspect as well where you have to actually interact with the space. And I see what you mean. At that point, are you playing a game or are you uh, experiencing narrative? It's hard to tell. Mm. And maybe there, maybe that 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 um, dichotomy is moot in a way. Mm. It's like it's it's no longer like an ab- applicable uh, category going forward. I feel you there, boy. I feel you there. And I'm wondering if at the time when film was invented, uh, they thought that film was the what we now call virtual reality. <laughs> well, uh, yes, there's that story of Probably the not. first screening of the, the train entering train the train station. station. They and they people, ran, people like, were getting out of the way because yeah, they yeah, thought yeah. the train was coming towards them. So that's yeah, right. interactive in a way. Right, right. So right. I don't know. I just think if, if virtual reality pulls us even further away from being embodied, that's... Mm. It's like, what are we doing? You but know? we are already embodied. <laughs> we, we're already disembodied. All, all media totally. is disembodiment. Ooh. All like, But that's uh, not true. It could be embodied. It could be an embodied experience. It's just... But when... Sorry, go on. No, go ahead. No, no, I, man, I, I, like when it becomes, virtual, like when it becomes virtual reality <laughs> developing us, you know, then yeah. I, I think it makes it a little... It makes it much harder. All right. Sure. Guys, it's, it's very fascinating. It's time for us to actually uh, leave the space to talk recovery here with Giuseppe uh, just coming in the booth. Uh, and I want to end up on this uh, very controversial statement because people think about movies as a way to step out of life. Uh, but I kind of think of movies as a way to learn more and step into life. And uh, with that note, I want to send much love to all of you out there with a nice juicy track from Duel. Please, everybody, enjoy. This is To Fly. So fly your way through the week. Fly your way around the town Vancouver broadcasting stream from downtown inside Vancouver 100.5 FM Cop Radio I'm Roger your host I wish you the best catch you next Thursday enjoy life ciao ciao